Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today, Morgan and I are going to be answering some of your questions regarding theology of the body. Stay tuned after this. Okay, thank you everyone for tuning into the podcast. Uh, we are going to get started with our announcements as always. First, we want to invite you to consider joining the Naked Without Shame patronage community. It's a way to support Morgan and I financially through the podcast we have on Awaken Catholic. You can go to nakedwithoutshameshow.com and you'll see a list of our videos, different levels of giving that you can can sign up for and uh, other information about our podcast. And so if you're interested, check out that website. Thanks. Also, if you are just interested in getting more information, videos, content through Awaken Catholic, you can download the Awaken app. The Awaken app has a great network of community members that put posts like, um, like another social media alternative, uh, giving inspirational ideas of how to live your faith. There's prayers uh, in this app. There's lots of lots of cool things. So if you are interested, go ahead and download that by going to theawakenapp.io. And as I said, Morgan and I are going to be answering some questions about theology of the body. Morgan, we did a Q&A earlier on in our season that we really enjoyed. And I think people really like to hear answers to questions, like very particular questions that kind of get stirred in the heart when we talk about these matters of the church of human sexuality, marriage, dating. And so we just want to continue that and hopefully through our episodes kind of put in Q and a, uh, I don't know, opportunities to answer your questions. So, Mm -hmm. so we're excited to do that. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, do you, you want me to start? I got some questions. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Okay. See what you got. Let's see what I got. Okay. Let's start with a common idea, kind of um, that that sparks interest because it's so common right now in the culture, right? The idea of cohabitating. Very common, very common trend. Um, It's just very accepted. So let's answer the question here. If you're not sleeping together, is it okay to cohabitate? And Mm -hmm. why is cohabitation looked down upon? Mm, So, mm -hmm. all right. So if you're not sleeping together, is it okay to cohabitate? Do you maybe want to first start with maybe like the, the general answer of like why maybe cohabitation is looked down upon or, or what it might traditionally. Yeah. Traditionally. Yeah. I can't say I know, you know, the best answer to this, but I think that in the tradition, it's implied that if you're living together, you're probably sleeping together. And that's the big no-no, right? Sleeping together before marriage is the real, like, mortal, mortal sin in this situation. Um, So I think, yeah, usually equating those two. So, but that's why this is an interesting question, because they're saying, okay, so what if we're living together, but we're not sleeping together? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a little more complicated. So that is more complicated. I don't know. What would you say? Yeah. Well, I think I would start by 
agreeing with you, right? So like it, the the tr- in the tradition, the cohabitation was looked down upon because it was implied, right? It kind of gave witness to two people are sharing a life together without yeah. making a commitment. Exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's like the, the next step to take in answering this question. Is it then okay to kind of live a shared life with someone of the opposite sex in an intimate space um, without making that commitment? Right. I think, yeah. I think views on that have definitely become a little bit more lax. Um, right. You know, yes, because cohabitation has become so normalized and we've also right. so lost any understanding of why people shouldn't be sleeping together outside of marriage, mm-hmm. you know? So like our cultural sensitivity to this question is like, so, um, numbed mm-hmm. basically. Like mm-hmm. we just don't, we don't see the the big deal. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe too, as like the, the family unit changes, there are those yeah. lines that are blurred between like, who, who is it okay to live with? Right. Yes. There, there you know, yeah. it's, that has also changed traditionally. You know, people right. are getting married later. They might have roommates or you might live with a family member um, for a while. Mm-hmm. It, there's just like shifting in, a, in acceptance of those difference in boundaries and like what constitutes a household, right? Yeah. And and a lot of those things aren't, aren't bad. So it, like, once again, the question is to consider like, who should I be in a household with? and like sharing an yeah. intimate life with. So yeah, yeah. And what does that mean? Again, talking mm-hmm. about like the meaning behind actions. Mm-hmm. This has been our big topic recently on the podcast, like the language, you know, the language of things. Yeah. So what's the language of living together? I think also like specifically in your own house, like maybe it's different if you're living with like, I know people live with like their fiance's parents or something for a time or mm-hmm. something like that, like because of finances. I think that's a separate question. I think probably we're more specifically talking about like setting up your own household together mm-hmm. before you've made the commitment of commitment to each other for life. Right. And before you've actually officially then become a family together. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And I think now the, the idea is that that might be helpful in discernment. I think like the modern culture says, well, try it out. Like, see how you get along in, in the same space. Can you compromise? Is it, is it kind of more like a test? It seemed like a test of discernment before making your, that commitment. Right. Totally. Yeah. So I think also so much of it is financial. I know Mm -hmm. so many of my friends who found themselves in these situations, it's because of finances and it becomes really difficult. I mean, it can become a really sticky situation, especially if you live in like a big city or something. I mean, like DC, you know, Mm -hmm. where we lived, like it's Mm -hmm. really expensive and people find that temptation much more strong because it's costs, you know, twice as much to live by yourself than to live with another person. And if you're getting married to them or if you think you're going to get married to them, like, yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in response to that, it, I think sometimes we find that with the the temptation to like get worried about the financial aspect, that there's there's not any other option, right? Yes. Like there there's yeah. no other option. Either it's I live with my significant other, or I have to have my own place, and it's super expensive. Right. But but maybe looking into like other possibilities, like through a parish or 
friends that you know, connections that you make for like staying temporarily in a place. I know lots of people who would be willing to house like a, a one of the couples, member of the couple who, who needs a place to live. So there's just yeah, like definitely. trying to find your resources. Um, but, but once again, I think, yes, yeah. once again, if, it if gets you're to motivated, the, yeah, sorry, it gets to sorry, the, again. I think we're about to say the, the same thing. It gets the to the heart yeah, of like, exactly. it gets to the heart of like, well, like, does that even matter? Like, exactly. You know, I think that's the thing. It's like, if you don't really think it matters that much, your temptation level is going to be a lot higher. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like about asking why is it a big, why is it such a big deal? I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to address. Mm-hmm. And why is it more, a more beautiful way to begin? If you are wanting to get married, why is it a more beautiful way to begin your life anew, like afresh, a basically, without having, you know, basically lived together before marriage? Why is that like so, so much more beautiful? I would be willing to say mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and willing to kind of sacrifice for, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. I think what comes to mind is this idea of form again, like, like the form Mm. of a way of, of life that, that kind of represents the vow of committing your life to someone, right? So not only when you vow to unite your life together with someone, like, does that mean in terms of like creating a family with them, sharing everything, finances, yeah. food, mm-hmm. space, you know, like space kind of yeah. includes that total gift of self as we've been yeah. talking about. And there's yeah. a very clear like understanding of gift and, and totality in that yes. movement from I'm, I'm, we're living apart and now we come together. Yeah. It kind of communicates that, that in that form. It it, it does. Exactly. There's some, there's a sort of, again, a language to it of like, when you, you know, get married with someone, you set up a place and it's not your decision anymore. You know, I recently experienced this (laughs) this year I got married and it's not my decision anymore. What kind of furniture I have, what kind of art I put on the wall. And that is like, it's, it represents this coming together of two people in a very, very concrete way. And I think that if to do that prior to marriage, um, it kind of is like almost emotionally confusing for you, I would imagine. Like it's like you feel like you're sharing. I mean, you're, you're like entering this like incredible intimacy with mm-hmm. a person that like really what that intimacy is, is the marital commitment. But you're kind of doing that prematurely and without like the actual commitment. So I would imagine like there's sort of like a, I would just imagine it's difficult, mm-hmm. you know, like oh, yeah. it, it would make discernment more difficult. It would make you kind of have this lingering question of like, okay, we've shared so much. I mean, it's, it's not the same as, you know, having sex before marriage, but it's like kind of has this similar color to it of like, I've shared so much with you. I've given so much. We've kind of blended our lives in this very concrete way. And yet we haven't, you haven't said forever to me. You haven't made a mm-hmm. vow to me. And so like, where does that leave us? I kind of, mm-hmm. it kind of like, for me, it would probably be this like incredible, like experience of insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, like you've, it's an, it's like almost like an emotional chastity question. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I can see where the lines can get confusing and, and things can become just more blurred and, and emotionally you feel like, well, this is a, is kind of a step towards intimacy and yet the vow hasn't been made. Right. Right. Um, but also very different from like 
maybe living with someone from the opposite sex, but then also, but then going from that to like a more intimate partner, right? There's like, there's all those different nuances that, that we could probably flush out in this, this answer. But I think to be Mm -hmm. specific about what you're saying, um, with cohabitating, leading Mm -hmm. up to marriage, um, yeah, it's just, it can be very, very confusing, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, and yeah, I think we, we've wanted to talk a lot about like the vow of marriage. Maybe we'll do that in an episode soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's something to like commitment and like words and action, like kind of like flowing together that makes that confusion exactly. less. Right. Yeah. The vow kind of like makes, it secures the love essentially. Mm -hmm. And until that love has been secured, I would say, you know, doing these incredibly intimate things together, like obviously, especially sex, that's Mm -hmm. like the big one, Mm -hmm. but like even sharing space, like there's something, again, I would just like go from the more like experiential, emotional sort of perspective of like, that's, that's hard on you. And that could also be really difficult for discernment. Like, say you really are not totally sure if you want to get married with someone and yet you're sharing a space together. And like, does that allow you like the freedom really to discern? Cause you've mm-hmm. already shared so much, you know what I mean? Like the, the breakup will be, I mean, just concretely speaking, the breakup will be a lot more painful. You know, I think that people, I've known a lot of people that have you know found themselves in that really difficult situation. And I would say like, yeah, that that's like a really compelling reason to try to avoid it. You know, like, Mm-hmm. You need to be, remain free, basically. That's a really good marriage. point. That's a good point. And so, sometimes like the freedom can be compromised if you've already shared too much, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. I agree with that. So. so so then back to like the original first question of like, is it okay to cohabitate if we're not sleeping together? Well, I think what we offered is like helpful for that. But at the same time, like recognizing that the, the the biggest concern would be with like too much intimacy, especially sexual intimacy before marriage. That's like the, that's what yeah. has traditionally made cohabitation a problem. And that is yeah. pretty much, I mean, once again, like we're assuming because it does provide like a kind of an assumption of what people are doing when they move in together. Right. So yeah, you can talk about the whole skin of, sin of scandal thing. I think that's mm-hmm. the, the lens through which a lot of people answer this question of like, if you're living together, people are assuming you're sleeping together and mm-hmm. that's scandalous. Right. Right. Before yeah. Marriage. Yeah. So. Yeah. And if you, yeah. yeah, if you can abstain and you, you know, and that's your situation, like that is, that is better. That is a, a yes. better For sure. thing to, For sure. to do. Um, but I think even taking other steps back, like we were saying, and, and like asking for help and resources from community members who might be able to house you, if that's like, if those are concerns, there's, there's options for people. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I would say, yeah, it's, it's ideal basically to not, for all the reasons we've kind of laid out, I mm-hmm. think it's ideal to not live together before marriage. But if it's like you're living together, you're two months away from your wedding and you like have this sort of inversion of heart and realize like, Hey, we don't want to sleep together anymore. Like we want to save this for mm-hmm. marriage from here on out. Like moving into a different bedroom is a great step. You know, that is a great so, step. I agree. It's kind of case yeah. by case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but hopefully kind of what we've, the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. 
hopefully what we've no, offered is <laughs> hopefully what we offer is just like good food for thought. You know, I think, yeah, I think exactly. it's, yeah, hopefully that was helpful. And what so, do things, like what, what do things mean? What's the meaning behind like our actions and like mm-hmm. sort of the way we, I don't know, just the way we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the lens through which we tend to answer things. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, in light of that, Morgan, I know you had a question asked to you that may be a good segue into the, uh, from what we were talking about into our next topic. So do you want to ask it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it might've even have been helpful to address before just to yeah, kind of like understand why this whole COVID habitation thing is a problem, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So in my class, I teach a high school class on theology of the body. Um, and we were recently talking about sex before marriage or like, why is sex, um, best, whatever, you know, why does sex go with marriage? Basically was the question. Um, and we were kind of just basically grappling with it. Um, and a lot of the girls like had a difficulty, um, seeing what exactly is this connection? Like, is it just like a moral connection? Like it's just, it's better for sex to be connected to marriage or is there something deeper about it? Like what, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like what mm-hmm. exactly is that relationship between mm-hmm. sex and marriage? Right. Why should they go together? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So as you're asking the question, what comes to my mind is first to try to think about, because I think we are in the mindset of like seeing the connection, but if we can yeah. like take that, out of the picture for a second and kind of think of the experience of someone who does not have that knowledge or the knowledge of theology, the body, or uh, even faith. Like how, how is that viewed? It's probably viewed as like really just not a big deal and very natural, you know, like I, like I, I feel this way and I kind of want to do what I want to do. And so why does it, why does it matter? Yeah. Especially if we love each other. Cause I think in my mm-hmm. class, like a lot of the girls understood like, okay, well, this is why we shouldn't hook up with people. Like this is why hookup culture is bad and destructive and harmful for us. But the, the, then like the whole a different question is like, what if we really love each other? You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that is, it is different, you know, but why is that still not enough? Right. Mm-hmm. Why is that still not like a sort of, again, right. ideal way for this? Right. Yeah. I guess I am, I imagine that in that circumstance would would somebody who who says they love love their boyfriend or girlfriend we want to express our love this way but then down the road something splits them up like yeah. in retrospect would you say that well we loved each other and that was that was a the love was true and real, but mm-hmm. now seeing like as time passed, well, it ended. Yeah. So it kind of calls it into question. It right? does. If something, I think that, yeah, for me, kind of the most compelling answer to this question is if the, there's not a vow, right. If there's not a pledge of whatever of, of each other forever to each other forever, um, that can the love be secured, right? Can the love mm-hmm. be like counted on? Can I count the, on the fact that you really love me? Okay. You're saying you love me right now. 
but like, if you could break up with me in a month, do you really love me? Right? Like, is that enough for us to do mm-hmm. this incredibly intimate thing right. together? That is like literally, I mean, body and soul, like m- means that like I'm giving myself entirely. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's like the most intimate, mm-hmm. vulnerable thing we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's something it's very much not accepted in our culture. At the same time, I think that like it is intuitive for us. Like sex means something. Right. Right. It means that it's best, you know, experienced in love. I think that a lot of people would agree with that. Right. And then the, I would say, yeah, to go back, like the vow secures that love. Does that make sense? Yes. I think the vow insofar as like it's a commitment for life. Like the commitment yeah. piece solidifies the love because I, I do think there, you know, because of the order of things and that like, I, I do think you can, there is love right in moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like feelings of love are love and like, it's, it's good to, to want to share those things. But like, I think the crux of it, as we're saying is like, is love for a moment now mm-hmm. or is it for life and like yeah, it's actually and, a really deep philosophical question right yeah and yeah. like love can be in moments like i i yeah. don't want to say it can't be right but but is that like the most complete form of love that we're trying to promote like here on our podcast yes. right like we're trying to think about you know yeah yeah again i think like I, th- I think of it from this perspective of like sex is something that's so um, intimate, like so, so incredibly vulnerable for us mm-hmm. that like, I think that we know that like, if, if that is done without like a level of like saying, okay, if that is done without the security of saying, I love you forever, like there's going to be a wound there's going to be a serious wound. And I think we all like, I mean, we, you experience that. You see that in the culture, you see that in music, you see that in movies. Like there's an incredible wound if you've shared that level of intimacy with someone and then it's broken off. Right. Yes. And like, so what marriage with the marital commitment does is it not that it protects you entirely. I mean, we're wounded in marriage too, but it's, it's designed to protect and free that kind of love. Right. Like that Mm. particular intimacy, like there's a particular what we're trying to say is that there's a particular intimacy with sex that Mm. is not the same as like a kiss or like holding hands. There is definitely an intimacy with those things, but it's not the same level. And I think we know that. I mean, there's there's not this total gift of self that could create new life. I mean, these are like incredibly you're tying your futures together. That's what you're saying when you're having sex with someone like you're you're bonding yourself with someone to the point that your entire destiny is intermingled with this person. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that right. is the language of the body in sexuality. And like mm-hmm. that love needs a kind of protection and uh, assurance of forever, basically. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah I like so, that. I don't think I'd add anything else. I think it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think that like even like all of our love, I mean, if you, you're dating someone and you love someone, like you're the telos, right? The end of that love mm-hmm. is marriage. So you can truly love your fiance, right? But like that love needs to be consummated. Like it needs to be brought to its fulfillment. It's going towards something objectively. 
So mm-hmm. to have sex with someone before your marriage, it's before you're married, like there's a sort of prematurity about it and you're kind of jumping the gun. Like you gotta like make the commitment, right? Mm-hmm. Because it secures the love. Again, we're not talking moralistically here. Like I was trying to tell my girls in class, like don't think about it like, I had this whole formula that I would write on the board. Like, don't think about it like this, like sex plus marriage equals good. Like that's not like, that's how we're often taught to think about it. And I think it's not necessarily the most helpful. I said, (laughs) they were very confused by this because I'm, it's, I don't mean this literally. I'm also not a math person. So it's not really, (laughs) it's not really my forte, but I said sex equals marriage. Like it's more like that in the sense of sex means marriage when you have sex with someone, that's what the meaning of that action is, right? So it's mm-hmm. not that just that they should go together, it's that they like inherently go together. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yes. Like the, yeah. again, the language of sex, what you're saying when you're having sex is marriage. And if you're doing that outside of marriage, it's, it's essentially mm-hmm. a lie. Right. I mean, I know that's a strong mm-hmm. kind of word. And like, you know, we live in a very confused time about this thing so it's not to demonize anyone or judge anyone but it's just to say that like I think that in the depth of our hearts we we understand this and just to kind of like give voice to that intuition and to yeah yeah say okay we like let's sacrifice for that let's like try to sacrifice for that beauty right mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree I think yeah as I was kind of trying to um imply before like in retrospect right you could see like when a relationship ends, you kind of intuit like, oh, I don't think that was supposed to, right? Because I yeah. I loved so much and I expressed my love and like, yeah, I th- I think as you're saying, like we're we're also just offering like kind of the the truth of things when we say like it's a lie. Well, I think it's it's just like the not the fullest truth of it all, right? It's just not mm-hmm. the fullest truth, and people are just trying to seek the truth in trying to love somebody that they care Mm -hmm. about. There's elements to it, but I think what what the theology of the body does, it brings like that complete vision of how to love well and how to give yourself totally. So, so like just also affirm that like to want to give yourself is good, but in answering this question, I think we're, we're trying to provide like those extra things (laughs) from the theology of the body, from the Catholic church, from like the truth of how things are ordered to help guide people to like real love in sex yeah. and marriage, you know? And that also like, you know, it's aimed at protecting the person and their dignity and their, they're just even their emotions. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. that that's ultimately like what, what I'd say is like, it's not like, Ooh, you're bad. You have sex before marriage. Like tisk tisk. It's saying mm-hmm. like, okay, like you have incredible dignity, like you're mm-hmm. worth so much. And like, wait for someone who will sacrifice for you and make the commitment and give of themselves totally, not just in their body, but in their, the entirety of their person, right. Without like Mm -hmm. kind of bracketing those two things. Um, and that's your, you're worth that. You're worth that sacrifice and the beauty of that experience of waiting till marriage and then expressing that with like total honesty, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're speaking the truth with your body when you, when you, have sex within marriage like mm-hmm. right. that's that's a beauty that's worth sacrificing for mm-hmm. um even though it's really hard and it's really countercultural, and mm-hmm. you know, people think you're crazy right mm-hmm. like it's really true yeah yeah and the general well, cultural people think like oh people don't have sex before marriage like 
Yeah. That's even a thing. That's, yeah. <laughs> people do that. Yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. People do it. Well, and I also am just thinking of like you, Morgan, and you're newly married and also like probably like the experience of that committed love just in your daily life and knowing that your husband is like going to love you for who you are like every day and choosing that, yeah. right? Like that, that also, that daily living out of like, I'm showing you my real self and I'm still yeah. being loved and he's showing me his real self and I'm, I'm still loving him even when it's difficult in all of, in all of who you are, like it's still mm -hmm. like that is included in that total gift. Like th yeah. that beauty of total embrace of the life of someone yeah. Like that also speaks the language yeah. of, you know, when you give a total gift to yourself to someone in yeah. marriage, all that. So it totally changes the entire, like it, it colors the entire relationship. Like just the fact that, okay, we're stuck with each other. Like we vowed <laughs> forever and we both are incredibly committed to that. Mm -hmm. Like that, even if we like get in fights and all these different things, it's like that gives us a ton of freedom, I think. The fact that right. we, we, you know, we're in it together, like for life, like this is, we've vowed ourselves before God to this. So mm -hmm. yeah. work it out. Like yeah, we right. have to love each other. Like that's yeah. what we're being asked. Like that's what God is asking us. Right. That's our vocation. Right. Like there's something that is something incredibly different about that experience and, and very freeing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I say like, yeah, that's where you kind of have, again, that security, that freedom to give yourself totally in terms of your body right exactly in terms of sexuality mm -hmm. like that is yeah it makes sense yeah um very so. cool awesome okay anything else you want to share i thought that was a good answer yeah, I, so <laughs> yeah I can't think of anything else at this moment okay all right yeah. okay next question i feel like we're yes. uh really just going through like a uh like levels of <laughs> these answers because now we're going to talk about the family <laughs> okay ah, yeah perfect progression perfect question okay so for those of you who have been following our, our podcast you know that we talk a lot about technology so technology is included in this question the question is what does tob have to say about the place of technology within the modern modern family system Very interesting question. Yes. What does TLB have to say about the place of technology within the modern family system? Yeah. Whew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, honestly, with I'm, I'm pregnant. I made that announcement, I think, last time. <laughs> um, and like thinking about, okay, I mean, people, it's, it's common to like expose your kids to technology from day one. And like how do me and my husband want to kind of do that, like handle that? Mm -hmm. They're going to be, they're going to be exposed to technology and how do we want to, like, how is it ideal to kind of, mm -hmm. um, handle that situation? So. Well, can I ask I first, know. like, why, yeah. why even ask that question of like, that, like being concerned about the exposure of yeah. technology with your kids, with your future kids or just in your family? Why is that mm -hmm. a concern? Because it is so common, like right. kids at why the age of two, yeah. three, four, like have their own tablets anymore yeah and you know more and more kids are getting phones younger at younger ages so that's like kind of normal 
now, but at the mm-hmm. same time, there's, there's people who also recognize like or question, right? Is this okay? Like, yeah. how does this affect the family system? How does this well, affect this our attachment? Too. Like, I think people know too, like I mean, this kind of technology is within, I mean, we, when we were kids, we didn't have this kind of access to, to technology. We had like the TV, we had maybe right. the internet, but not like tablets and cell phones that right. you know, have the internet and like all the games, whatever people like allow kids to be exposed to from like, again, like newborn, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Also because it's like, <laughs> it's so engrossing. We will talk, you know, unpack this a little bit more, but like, it's so engrossing. You see the way children, like it, if they're having a temper tantrum and you give them a phone, like it's like that, like yeah. they stop yeah. and they're just like, and parents right, know like, that parents yes, and see like, that. And it's like, Oh, they're throwing a fit here. Like it's a quick fix. It's very easy. Yeah. And to, I'm so sympathetic to that. I mean, yeah. When I used to babysit, yeah. I could see the way it's like, okay, sometimes <laughs> this is like the only thing that's going to work. Like I don't right. know what else to do. Right. So I totally, but I guess it's like, as I've kind of grown in my understanding, I think of technology, um, especially because it's like one of the big things that we studied at the John Paul II Institute Mm -hmm. on this question of technology. Like I've discerned a lot more. Yeah. What is that? What is the meaning of that? Like, what is the meaning of technology essentially? And like, especially like exposing children to technology at a young age and like, is that best, Mm -hmm. I guess. Right. Um, So maybe what comes to mind first in, in thinking about this, like a concern that, that comes in, I think that people recognize is that like, Hey, my kids are just like, or maybe even myself, I not even just kids, but myself or my spouse, mm-hmm. we're just like glued to this thing. Yeah. And there's, there's no like shared experience of something anymore. It's like, we're just, it's just me and this electronic thing. Yeah. So like my, my concern would be that there's not this like sense of attachment developing like within mm-hmm. the family unit mm-hmm. um, in a way that you share experiences together, like more traditionally, like experiences together. Yeah. Um, you know, you yeah. know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like we're, Definitely. we're not practicing like the communication or even the emotional regulation once again, like in relationship because technology is kind of kind of calming the pacifier. Us. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And even for me, like not just for children, (laughs) but for me, like I'm like upset or something. It's so easy to just scroll through my phone and it does pacify me. It really does. It numbs me and like kind of takes my mind away from something. It's like an escape. So yeah. But is that good? Like, is that a good habit to form Mm -hmm. basically? Like Mm -hmm. what you're saying, it kind of like you, then you don't have to learn how to navigate emotions, situations, um, in the concrete world, but you're kind of like, again, escaping. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think if I may offer, like in a way, I'm just reflecting on my own journey with technology and and just like limiting myself. Like, yes, I agree that it does pacify you. It also, um, it, it allows you to like be detached enough to have that disposition of like knowing why you're restless or why, like, what Mm. is it about me that why, like, why am I experiencing this? And what do I really need in life Mm. to like, to find peace? You're saying it disconnects you from that question? Technology does. Yes. Like when we use technology to pacify our emotions or like make us feel Mm -hmm. better, it, it, 
doesn't allow me to ask like those deeper questions of like, why am I restless or why am I angry? Why am I feeling the way I am? What do I really need? What I probably really need is human connection. (laughs) Like what I probably really need is to like create something or maybe I'm hungry. I don't know. Like getting in touch with what really allows me to flourish. Like I've been on that journey for myself and yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really helpful to like listen to those, those like emotions, those experiences. And and what I'm proposing is that technology doesn't allow us to like really encounter like our humanity. I, I don't want to, I don't want to knock technology, but you know what I'm trying to say? It doesn't allow us to encounter like a real sense of, of flourishing. I don't know. Can you explain what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I th- I, I'll try. Yeah, no, I think I think I'm following you, and I think I totally agree. I think especially with children, again, not to like judge parents. I mean, no. I'm probably like I don't know what I'm in for. Like the baby coming in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, no judgment, but um, right. like to to constantly be using technology as this sort of pacifier for your child, like there are so many things that the child doesn't understand, like they're, they're experiencing, right. These, these feelings, sensations, emotions that they don't really understand. And to constantly be using these, this pacifier that's so strong and powerful technology, right? Like it's, inc- as we've seen, and like, that's why it works so well. It's so powerful. Like to do that consistently, like both can disconnect you from like, what does my child actually need? potentially. Right. And it also could disconnect the child from that of like, if every time I feel this emotion that I don't even know what it is. And the only way that I've ever been taught to deal with it is through this being pacified through technology. Like I'm never confronted with like this need that I have, you know, and and that, that could be potentially really, really harmful for my development. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's very important that like we, from a young age are cultivate like a sort of sense of what are my needs Right. Mm-hmm. And how how is like a, a good way to sort of respond to those needs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And if we don't, there's a danger of like. Um, I don't know, like. Rejecting those needs yeah. in other ways, yeah. like I think of yeah, being a teacher and like there's all sorts of times when like it's a child is acting out. Right. But it's really something deeper. Yeah. It's like really like a need that's not being met. And you have to be, as a teacher, like I've learned <laughs> and I'm learning, like very, very patient and very, very understanding and compassionate. Like, okay, so you're a seven-year-old and you're throwing a temper tantrum. Why? Like what's actually going on? Like you're not old enough to really process like what's going on in your mind and your body, all these different things. And like it's coming out in this like destructive, crazy way and like mm-hmm. teaching children to like, navigate and process okay like how can I deal with what's going on inside of me in a way that's productive and actually going to help me as opposed Mm -hmm. to just like acting out basically right and it's also Um, good for the parents to to take on that journey too of like trying to soothe or trying to meet those needs of the of the child even though it's harder it may take a long time it may take you know more effort than just handing a tablet over to them but but it's good for us as parents too to yeah, like to definitely. walk in that because it but then it like it it connects you to the child it's like the child is is realizing that I can rely on my my parent right to to be consoled to 
have my needs met to care about my emotions in a way. Right. Yeah. 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 So then I, I understand that like reality, we're talking a lot recently about how like your origin or like your, mm -hmm. your sort of your way of being formed in your humanity, like has an impact on your entire relationship with reality and your relationship ultimately with God. And so if you see from a young age, like my parents respond to me, they actually respond to my real emotions. They don't just like, if I'm throwing a hissy fit, like, mm -hmm. again, like, mm -hmm. give me a pacifier of some right. sort. Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that will teach me like what reality is like. Either reality like responds to me and cares about me or it doesn't. It doesn't meet my needs. It doesn't respond to my desires, you know, like mm -hmm. right. it's actually really has huge consequences. Yeah. And again, it's not to say like, okay, you can never use a pacifier with your children of any sort. I mean, like you can mm -hmm. never like try to, just, I mean, that's maybe unrealistic, but it's saying like to do, I think what we're trying to say is like to do that on a cons consistent basis as like a practice of like, this is how I deal with this. Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. I think right. just the really harmful potentially thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I'm going to look at this question one more time because I think I have another, another thought. I just want to make sure I'm answering okay. this. Okay. So what does TOE have to say about the place of technology in the family? So I think the theology of the body, of course, promotes like the communion of persons that, that begins with man and woman and forms the family through like generous love, right? So mm -hmm. the theology of the body is always an advocate of the family as imaging God in, mm -hmm. in the exchange of love, as we're saying a little bit here, like how the parent and child can, can like learn these like good and true ways of commune communion through like soothing and being there for one another and listening to one another and like meeting needs, really nurturing the child. I do think that technology can be a barrier as well to real connection. And I think we can, yeah. we can understand that very basically that technology has changed the way we communicate. I know at the yes. John Paul II Institute, Morgan, when we've talked about technology or when we've talked about the world, right? When we're, when we're exposed to something, we can't not be affected by what becomes impressed upon us. Right. So mm -hmm. like from the outside, our experience of the physical world communicates something to us about what reality is. Mm -hmm. Technology, which is man-made, a machine usually, like that will communicate to the user that like the world is very mechanical. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then can also like begin to see other things or people as more mechanical or, or things to be used. Right. But yes. a person cannot fall into the like framework of technology. The definite, the, the definition of the person can't fall into that. But sometimes we can, like I said, project the meaning of technology onto our family members or onto the people in our lives mm -hmm. and don't know how to treat them in a yeah. way that promotes communion true yes. communion. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, so I think that often this conversation, especially in like sort of religious or even like Catholic circles, it's a question of technology. It's more of like people address it from the perspective of like, what's the content? Like what kind of content is on the TV? Like, is it violent? Is it like overtly sexualized? Is it whatever? 
like that's the problem i think oftentimes when we have this conversation but i think like what we're saying is like a little mm-hmm. deeper it's saying it like actually technology itself like not just the message but that, that the technology is promoting but like the actual technology has its own language again this whole language thing like yes. it it communicates something about reality and when we're being formed in that like that's gonna yeah influence our way of looking at the world and looking at each other Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of becomes this like mechanistic um, perspective on reality, mm-hmm. right? Right. Of, like technology is not a person. Um, it's something you really can use. It's designed to be used. There's not a dignity behind technology. Right. And when that's sort of like my, if I'm, if that's, I'm encountering the world through that lens, you know, for hours and hours at a time every mm-hmm. day, like that's going to prevent me from like being able to like be with my family and be with my friends in a way that's meaningful, right? Because I'm not being trained. I'm not training myself to encounter persons. I'm I'm training myself to encounter a machine, essentially. Mm -hmm. And as we were saying before, like this idea that technology can be used as a, like an emotional pacifier, like another consequence could be if you carry this logic forward that people then can become a way to pacify my emotions, to make me feel good. Why aren't you making me feel a certain way? Why aren't you doing what technology has done for me or what I've been kind of raised to experience through my tablet, through my phone, through video games, through whatever it might be that I'm, that I overuse. So I think it's a really, really profound point. Yeah. mm -hmm. Right. So they're just, you know, it's just a perspective on like what technology can really do to affect the family. And I think as we're saying, yes, technology does in itself, in and of itself, speak a language. We're not saying that you have to like get rid of all of your technology. Right. I mean, we're on the internet right now. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Take everything yeah. you're saying with a great salt. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, we're it, on the we internet. We live in the modern world and technology <laughs> is a part of the modern world. And so like for better or for worse, like we kind of have to work yeah. with it, I think to some extent. Right. And I would say like, even just like more concretely speaking, like me discerning with my family, my husband, like how are we going to allow technology into our home? Like there's a difference between watching a movie together as a family and then mm-hmm. like allowing your children to be in their bedrooms on their iPads all night. You know what I mean? Like exactly. if you're doing something, I mean like, okay, so a movie with your family in this sort of, is this sort of community experience, mm-hmm. right? And then you can talk about it and you can say like, what did that movie mean to you? Like, what did you think? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, if it's also like a quality movie, like I think there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. So it's not saying that like literally all technology, maybe some people would say this. I'm not willing to say that, um, that all technology should, it just has no mm-hmm. place in the family, but it's saying like, I think we're probably just trying to ask like, what is a way of using technology that doesn't compromise um, the, the community, the communal life of the family basically. And like being in reality, like how can you use technology in a way that doesn't separate you from reality essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's not a pacifier. Right. So I would say for me, something I'm still discerning, but just like very controlled, um, instances of using technology and doing it in a way that like doesn't forfeit the communal element of the family. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. like the majority of your time is spent as a child in nature, like in reality, like mm-hmm. experiencing life as mm-hmm. it is naturally. Right. And like 
the beauty of that. And if you're bored, you're bored. You learn how to kind of deal with that. You don't just like go watch TV. Right. right? Mm -hmm. um, I think like having that as like your sort of like, for me, like as a sort of basis and then saying, okay, like maybe you can watch a movie on Friday night with the family mm -hmm. or you can play video games yeah. <laughs> even like yeah. with your siblings and like mm -hmm. with, even with, you know, your parents. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> like video games. Mario Kart. I mean, I mean, yeah. But um, yeah. I guess yeah. <laughs> Thinking of it more as like, if it's a communal experience, I think it's mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. different. At least it's not as harmful. Right. Um, I would agree with that. I think that's really important. Does this aid in the goal of really achieving communion together, or does it not? Yeah. So yeah. that's a good. It's a really good point, I think, to to leave on unless you have any other thoughts. I thought that was good. Yeah. I think so. Hopefully. Hopefully you all <laughs> thought that was good. That's the most important part. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, any last thoughts? I think that's all we probably have time for. Yeah. Three yeah. questions. Good questions. I think it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Morgan, for sharing your wisdom. And Thank you. yeah, hopefully you all who are listening took something away from our answers and are going to maybe take that and just think about it a little bit. We hit on some pretty interesting topics, uh, sometimes hard to grapple with, but just, yeah, yeah see what, what happens. Yeah. See what happens in your heart about it. So awesome. Okay. Thanks everybody. We will. Thank you. Yeah. We'll see you next time on the podcast until then have Bye. a great, uh, I don't know, a few weeks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't know when this is coming out. Yeah. So it's hard to gauge. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, okay. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time. <laughs> All right. Bye.